I'm going to um, just pray and uh, ask, ask God to help me with this, with this message here that would really be, um, it would really be helpful. Sorry. Okay. Lord, just thank you so much for the Bible. Um, thank you that it's uh, living and active, Lord, that by your, because you, your Spirit breathed, breathed it out and quickens it to our hearts. That it just pierces us and gets right to the heart of the matter. And I want to pray and ask you that that would happen today, please, Lord. I want to pray that you'd really search us out through your word. Um, because we know that you want to do us good. And we know, Lord, that you only want what's best for us. So we, we just say, Lord, come and have your way, please. I pray that you'd quicken my efforts, Lord God, which naturally would really not accomplish anything. And you'd make them very effective for life change. Please God, please God, pray that in, in Jesus' name. We thank you that when we pray in his name, we can be utterly confident, Lord, that you will do it. So thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're preaching on faith, doing a series on faith. Um, I thought this was going to be the third and final one, but um, I only got through uh, three of my five points this morning, and they're going to do the next two next week. But I don't really know what's going to happen here tonight. So we, <laughs> it's a funny one. If you're not aware, sorry, we're, we're a two-congregational church. So we have a morning congregation and evening congregation, different groups of people, same church. Um, so we preach the same message. So uh, we'll just see how we get on, and we'll take it from there. But God's in charge. Um, but I'm really, I've been preaching from the story of David and Goliath on this whole idea of faith. What is it? And um, how does it work? Um, good ringtone. Uh, people see faith in very different ways, right? I mean, some people see faith as like a leap in the dark. That's really the way they describe it. It's like, man... You know, you got, you got faith. You just got to go for it. You know, you don't really know. You know, you, you don't really know anything. But you just, just jump, brother. You know, just do the, do the wild thing. You know, it's a leap in the dark, and it's like, okay. Uh, other people see it as a, it's a crutch for the weak. Okay, faith. It's a, it's a crutch. It's for those who can't handle life. It's for those who they just haven't got it within themselves. So just, you know, pull themselves together and face life. And they need faith. They need faith to get them through. They need the Lord. To help them, you know, it's very much seen like that. Other people see it as uh, just optimism, you know. You've probably heard people talking like that, you know. Um, your faith, your faith, you just, I love that about you. You're so full of faith, you're always, you're always chipper. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's how it's seen. It's like, you're always happy. It's your faith. You're one of them. There's a lot of confusion out there. How does the Bible define it? Well, really not as a leap in the dark or a crutch for the weak um, or optimism. <laughs> but it defines it as a supernatural certainty in the faithfulness and ability of the one who created all things. It's totally different from anything that we were looking at a second ago. It's, it's an utterly different thing. It's supernatural. It comes from God. And opens up the eyes of our heart so that we can see God. And we, we often miss that. We often don't quite 
um, get that. We often, I think we think that faith is primarily to do with us, right? So we kind of see it as something which is rooted in maybe, I don't know, it, it's certain kinds of people, you know? Maybe people said that to you if you're here tonight and you're a believer and say, yeah, well, you're that type, aren't you? You're just that way. I'm not that way, but you're that way. And it's like, what, what, what is it? Is it a temp? It's your temp- it's seen as a temperament issue. They've always been like that, since we can remember them. They've always been, you know, God. It's a, te- it's a temperament thing. It's seen like that. Other people kind of would say, no, it's to do with background, you see. It's, a, it's like, yeah, well, you were brought up with that. Or, you know, you've always just kind of been around that, you know. Or, well, you used to go to church sometimes, so that's the reason why. And so it's, it's, it's kind of somehow centered, located in us. It's your temperament, or it's your background, or it's just your psychological disposition. Some people are just wired that way. And... Uh, Uh, We we are experts in taking something utterly supernatural and inexplicable and divine and sacred and mysterious and scrunching it up into something really quite dull and small and saying that's what it is and explaining it away. But it doesn't actually work. Um, It doesn't work because if you do a demographic survey of any given church, you'll discover a few things. It is full of people with very different temperaments very different backgrounds and very different psychological dispositions. Something's happened to them. Whether they were brought up in the faith or not, at some point something has happened because there are many people out there that the last place they want to be is in church and they were brought up in the faith. Okay? You can't just explain it like that. Something has happened, God has worked. That's the point. God has gone to work in the heart. And he has awoken, brought to life a faculty which was previously dead, the spirit. So that we can now apprehend him. So now it makes sense to come along here and lift your hands up and sing your heart out. Without faith, that doesn't make any sense. It's just silly. It's not practical, is it? Do you, well, you know, I mean, you, there's more practical things to do with your time. You could achieve more, couldn't you? I just stood here for 20 minutes with my hands in the air. <laughs> See, without faith, that's the approach, yeah? It's just, but what, what, what? When you are awakened to see him, you think, I would rather be doing nothing else. Just to gaze on him and love him and express that love. It's what faith does. Um, so, the point is, faith changes everything. Now, over the last uh, few weeks, we've looked at the fact that by its nature, it moves mountains. It, faith is a powerful thing and... Um, um, when you are being made alive to God, there is, there is an ability given in God to be able to move things out of the way that get in the way of God's purposes. Okay? Things that get in the way of what God wants to do, um, faith in God um, has the power to move those things out of the way. So we looked at that week one. Week two, we looked at the inevitability of opposition. If you're going to live the life of faith, there's going to be some people that just don't like it because... When you come in with genuine certainty that you know him, that you know God, that you have a relationship with God, it can freak people out. Maybe you're here today and you, you, know, you, you don't believe, or you're not quite sure where you're at. And even me talking like this, it grates with you. You think, how can you stand up there and say that? Well, I can say it because it's true. 
If I was to say something different, I would be being dishonest with you. If I was to say, well, do you know what? It's kind of what, it's kind of what I believe, but if someone else has kind of got something else kind of different going on, then that's just as good. I would be lying to you. I would just be trying to kind of appease you and your sense of being offended. Because the deal is this. I know him. I know God. There was a point where I didn't, 19 years ago, a long time ago now, when I was 18. Work it out yourself. And... Uh, and then I did. Okay? So I didn't, now I do. And to say anything else would be dishonest. But it can great people, because I think what it does is it kind of exposes the, 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 the lack of certainty, the unbelief that's out there. Maybe that's in you, that's in your heart and in your mind. You're like, man, well, where does that leave me? Well, that's what we want to talk about today. We want to we help those of you that know the Lord to grow in faith. Those of you that don't yet know the Lord to come to know the Lord unabashedly. That's really um, what we're about. We won't do it by coercion or pressure. We'll simply proclaim the truth of the gospel to you and we'll let God go to work. So that's fine. Okay, so we're looking at the story of David and Goliath and um, today we're going to be looking at the, the, the five or maybe three, who knows, core elements to faith. Okay, what faith looks like when it goes to work. And um, what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to dig into the story of David and Goliath uh, in just a moment. In fact, I'll, I'll give you the background just so you know what's going on. Um, we've got the Israelites and the Philistines arguing, as they still do today. Um, Philistines, Palestines, okay, so it's just the names changed a bit over the years, but same group of people. So we've got the Israelites and the, and the Philistines arguing over the land of Israel. Okay, it's been going on a long time. Um, now, all I want to say is this. At this point, in this historical dispensation, God has promised the land to the Israelites. Okay, I'm not making any comments on the situation today. We're not going there today. But in this period, God had most definitely promised the land to the Israelites. And so the Philistines' presence in the land at this point is in a blatant defiance to the purposes of God. As such, they have every right to be able to oust these guys. Um, so they're lined up in battle array, and then, and then and then one of the Philistines, who's almost sort of 10 foot tall, uh, pretty big guy called Goliath, he comes forward and says, I've got, a, I've got an idea. Why don't you send one of your guys to come and fight me? We'll go one on one, winner takes all. Okay? Whoever wins the fight, they win the war. At this point, Israel's like, oh, mate. Because <laughs> suddenly, you, you haven't got safety in numbers, right? Because suddenly everyone's pinned, aren't they? It's down, are you going to be the one who puts your hand up? And no one does unsurprisingly. And this goes on for 40 days, and it's an absolute humiliation for the people of Israel. And then young David rocks up, who's probably, probably about 15, something like that in terms of age. He rocks up, he sees what's going on, he hears that the king of Israel's made some pretty good promises with regards to what will happen to the man who slays this giant. And also, more so than that, he's angered that God's people should be being humiliated like this. You know, isn't there a God in Israel? And so he says, I'm going to take this giant on. Okay, so that's the situation. We'll pick the story up later um, in terms of the bit we're going to focus on today. But before we go into the story, there's two things about David's history you need to know because they are vital to faith, the first two things. And here's the first one. I want to tell you the story of how it all started for David. The prophet in the land was called Samuel and um, God said to Samuel, go to Bethlehem because there's, there's someone there. I've found someone after my own heart and I want you to anoint him to be the king of Israel. 
So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, he turns up, everyone's freaked. Because in those days, when the prophet turns up, you don't know what's going to happen, okay? Is he going you know, to just, I don't know, pronounce God's judgment or whatever? So they all come out shaking, well, what have we done wrong? He says, it's all right, it's all good. Um, it's going to be, it's a good thing. Come for a feast. And I want you to get together, particularly Jesse, uh, his family, his, his sons. And so they all get ready for the feast. And Jesse comes along, and Jesse brings along his seven sons, right? Now David is number eight. Okay, David's number eight, and David doesn't even get the invite. Okay, David, David is like, you know, he's like, anyone here, youngest brothers? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Out in the field, bad jobs, yeah? Okay, so he's left out there, number eight. Jesse brings his seven sons along, and then the prophet Samuel, he sees son number one and thinks, man, this guy's impressive. Uh, like, like the rest of us, even Samuel, even a prophet, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's affected by the physical presence of someone, and he, he's taken in like that. We tend to be prone to do that very much. We, we very much judge outwardly without even meaning to, and Samuel's like, this, surely this is the guy, you know, and he's, you can almost imagine he's got his kind of oil thing in the air, about to pour it and anoint him, and God says, hold on, he's not the one. Um, and then God says to Samuel, remember, God doesn't, is not like man. Man looks on the outside, the Lord looks at the heart. And Samuel's like, oh, okay. This one? Nah. All the way down the line, none of them. So Samuel's perplexed, and he's like, Jesse, he said, have you got any other sons? He must be thinking, I must be mad, you know. And Jesse goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is one, yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh, calls him in, in he comes, ruddy and handsome, and um, I know what you're thinking, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, he cu- in he comes, and um, the Lord says to Samuel, he's the one. And so, and so he, anoints, he anoints him there and then. Now, point number one, where faith must start. David lives with a sense of being called by name by God. God has called the man by name. It's not just some sort of job lot deal. I will have that lot. No, I found a man after my own heart. I want him. David lives with that. Do you? Because you ought to. The Bible is clear that God calls us by name. He knows us, chooses us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he calls us by name. It is a mystery Please don't ask me to explain it. The Bible uses the phrase election. Some people struggle with it because they feel that it kind of somehow undermines our own free will and all these other kinds of things. Please don't try and tie mysterious things together and make them perfectly make sense um, unless you really want to just kill everything glorious and mysterious. Don't ask me to explain those things, but I'll tell you it's in the Bible. God calls us and chooses us. God initiates salvation. I'm convinced of it. God is initiate. God is at work. Yes, of course, we have to repent of our sins. Yes, we're called to believe in our faith. Absolutely, absolutely, all of that. Yes, but God calls us by name. It's so vital that you live with that, that you enjoy that, that you find security and safety in that. That you take that to heart and meditate on that. It's ever so important. That's David's story. Now, it's easier for some of us than others because of our experience, you see. See, it's easy for me to believe this. Why? Because of my story. 
Because I was brought up, by my mum was a believer, she brought me up in the faith, best she could. But when I was about 15, I said, no, I actually don't believe this, and I don't want to do this. So I made a conscious decision not to follow the Lord. And then about two and a half years later, I found myself on a Christian holiday, because it was a holiday that my mum had paid for, for me. So I winked, it was a free holiday, and that was it. I had no intention of becoming a Christian at all. I wasn't threatened by it, wasn't hostile to it, just was completely nonplussed by it. Um, liked Christians, I thought they were nice, but you know there was no kind of envy, I must have what you've got, none of that. Okay, just was like, that's it. And Jesus saved me. Okay, <laughs> he just, don't ask me how. I can't point to a moment, a sermon, a di- I just know there came a point where I said, Jesus, I'm all yours. And I've never been the same since, man. Some people say to me, Steph, are you like, ever surprised you're a pastor? I say, I'm surprised I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I've just been ambushed. I've been caught by God. So for me, it's, I know he's called me by name. I, I wasn't, it wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of the, you know, the timeline. You know, then I'll do that. No, it really wasn't. I was doing my own thing. Futile in my mind and ignorant and hardened to God. And he said, come on, we'll have you. Mercy. Maybe you're in, you're thinking, well, it's all right for you, isn't it? I mean, I searched for the Lord for five years. Did Alpha course, Beta course, I went, would have gone down to Z if I had the chance, you know. I've just, <laughs> I've been going for God, and now I finally found him. You might think, that's not, how's it? Listen, our own little biographies are unique. And for some of us, there's years of seeking and searching. For others, we get totally caught by surprise. In it all, it is the Lord who's drawing us. The Lord has drawn you and called you by name. That's how faith starts. Maybe you're here today and you don't yet believe. What I want to suggest to you, even the fact that you are here, I just genuinely believe it's not by accident. It's not just kind of random. Even if you feel like you did get dragged here or whatever, God in his mercy got you here. That you might hear about Jesus. That you might be saved. The Bible says it's God's will that none should perish. But that all should come to knowledge of the truth. And so... You know, just believe that for you. So that's the, that's the first thing. God's called me by name. The second thing, it says, I love this scripture, it says this. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. What were his brothers thinking, eh? Him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. I love that. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now what is that and what is that? What is it to be rushed upon by the Holy Spirit? It's, it's not good karma, all right? Or just some kind of... I mean, there's so much talk, isn't there, today? We've just got to be clear on what we're saying. It's not, it wasn't just like a good energy moment, yeah? Oh, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a vibe. Oh, yeah, it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, it's not, what it, it's not that, okay? It's not just kind of like a spa day, okay? You know, like a spa day. It's like, that is good. It's not that, okay? That's just... Kind of nice. It's just kind of a massage or something. That's it's different, okay? It's not just well-being, all right? It's not just kind of energy thing. Right, what is this? Okay, the Bible reveals that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, as the theologians call God when they're talking about the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God himself, the proximity of God, the breath of God rushed upon David. Okay, how does this work? Here's how it works. God promises the Holy Spirit to his sons. Now, ladies, it's cool. Because biblically, if you're a believer, whether you're a male or a female, you're a son. 
How so? Here's how so. Because in biblical times, it was the sons who inherited from the father. And God wants to make it really clear that both men and women who believe in Jesus inherit eternal life. Okay? So your sons, it's a privilege. Okay? God gives his Holy Spirit to his sons. He's called the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption. God promises the spirit to his people. David experienced the inrushing of the Holy Spirit. It energized him, almost made him a different man. There was, there was a God-given ability and enabling that came upon him. Okay? This is what God does to believers. <laughs> I want to speak to you for a moment. Believers, this, be looking to God for this increasingly. Say, so God, I want to go on being so filled with the Holy Spirit. It should be mysterious, surprising, even shocking to yourself. When I, be- when I became a Christian, my mum, who was a Christian and who had been praying for me, thought it was a fad. My own mum. She's like, oh, yeah, when will you get over this? You know, I was so unreliable, pathetic, changeable, ridiculous, absurd, over the top. I'm unstable. I was just, I mean, honestly, screwy. She was like, oh, yeah. You know what I was like? I was like, oh, yeah, as well. I thought, is, I feel totally different, but now the big deal for me had always been what people thought of me. That was a big one for me. Oh, how's, what, how's so and so going to react and all that? So I knew the rubber would hit the road, and I came back from this Christian holiday where everyone's a Christian. And went out with my mates who basically spent most of the time drinking beer and smoking dope. I thought, this is going to really see whether this thing is real. <laughs> so I kind of I went there and I said, to, hey guys, I'm, I'm a born again Christian. <laughs> I thought, I said it. <laughs> and they went, nah. And I thought, and I don't care that you're laughing. And I thought, what is this? You know, it's the Holy Spirit. There was a boldness that God gave me that was in contradiction, contrary to my nature. I was naturally very concerned what people thought. The Spirit of God rushed on me, and I'm telling people about Jesus. And I can't stop telling people about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit, you see. There is this enabling by God that we must get more of and continually seek Him for. We must be empowered by Him if we're going to bear fruit for Him. Because you can't just be effective in your own power. We, the Christianity, the Christian life is completely supernatural. And you need the supernatural power of the Spirit if you're going to walk in it properly. And that's what God wants for you. And I'll say this, church, we need to go after this and not be afraid of this. Some Christians even get nervous around this kind of talk. They think, well, it's all going to go crazy. You know, everyone's gonna, just going to go mad. Uh, you know, and just, it's just going to all go totally ski-whiff. And that will be the end of it. It won't be... If we are totally rooted in the Bible, and if it's really the Holy Spirit, all that's going to happen is Jesus is going to get loads of glory. We're going to see him more clearly and love him even more, and our lives will look more and more like Jesus is. Okay? So we mustn't be nervous. God, I'm saying, no, I'm going, I'm pressing in. I'm going, I want all you've got, God. And I'll say this to those of you that maybe at this point, either you don't believe or you're not sure where you're at, I want to, and you're thinking, well, what will it mean to become a Christian? I'll tell you, it mean utter Powerful life change. The Spirit of God will rush on you and make you what you could never be naturally. And you need to know that. And you need to just be, that's the deal. That's what it's going to be, okay? It's not going to be some kind of thing where, oh, a little little change over there. No, your whole center changes. And you're totally immersed in God. This life of faith is good. Right, let's dig into the story now. So we've got the background. So David rocks up, he's got two things in place. Now we're going to go to so 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this point was as far as we got this morning, and it may be the same today. If so, 
So be it, no problem. So we're on verse 38. So David said, I'm going to fight the giant. He's got an audience with the king. The king has said, you can't do this. David said, I can because God's with me. So verse 38. Then Saul, who's the king, clothed David with his armour. Now just to get you a feel of this, David, like I said, is a teenager, a youth. Um, Saul, we know, is a, not only a grown man, he's physically head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. Okay? So he's a big guy. And he, he puts his armour on David. So it's kind of looking a bit silly at this point. Um, he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armour and he tried in vain to go for he hadn't tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't go with these. I've not tested them. You should imagine him clunking around, you know, trying to kind of do some moves with this crazy big suit on. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. I'll have my stick. And then he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Third element of the life of faith. Unexpected, yet very personalised weapons. It's <laughs> great. Okay, I'm not talking Swiss Army knife, so right, we'll get on to what I'm, what I'm getting to here. But unexpected, and yet very personalised weapons. Now what I want to do before I dig into one area of this is just to say, hold on, let's just step back and look at, there's, there's some imagery going on here. David could have worn the conventional thing to go into battle, Okay? Instead, he takes it off and actually leaves himself totally vulnerable and then says, I'm going to choose these very unconventional weapons and with these unconventional weapons, destroy the enemy. Just like Jesus. David takes the sling, the staff. Jesus takes the cross. Jesus looks on and says, you know what? There's a mountain of enemies to deal with here. So Jesus came to deal with the enemy of sin, came to deal with all of the sins, right? Every foul thing you have done, right? Every gross, shameful thing that you have said, thought, done, right? That, that piles up some incredible, impossible debt before God. That's the reality of it, okay? And it's not just the things you do, it's the things you don't do. So, you know, when you stay quiet, when you should be standing up for justice or you know where you're just plain loveless you just didn't love that person and it was as good as as good as hating them the sins that we the things we don't do as well right so Jesus got the mount that mountain of your and my and the whole world's sin and he says somehow somehow we've got to deal with this then we've got to deal with death that universal enemy power that grips everyone then we've got to deal with Satan who's behind it all so David, you think David had a challenge on. Jesus is like, okay, that's, that's what we're after there. What does he do? He, so he starts to tell his disciples, well, how we're going to do it is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get betrayed and kind of handed over to the religious leaders and they're going to they're gonna mock me and spit on me and, and, and that. And then I'm going to get crucified and killed and then rise from the dead. At this point, some, some of them are just too scared to just ask him anymore. They're just totally freaked out. It's like, man. Others try and challenge him on it and say, you can't do this because they just don't get it. But you think, man, just stop for a moment. What, here, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, I'm going to deal with sin by dying. You think, how? How does that work? Here's how it works. The Bible says that on the cross he became sin. So he was so covered in our filth that he became sin. And so it turns out that actually as he is being empowered to the cross, guess what? Sin is being empowered to the cross. Sin 
is being judged. Because he's being judged by the Father, by his own Father, who he never sinned against. Because he's being judged by the Father, but because he's become sin, sin is being judged in Jesus. Sin is being dealt with. If you like, if you imagine Jesus and sin wrestling in the garden of Gethsemane just before he's arrested and Jesus gets him in a hold, or it in a hold, I'm not letting go of you, you're coming to the cross with me. And he slings him over his shoulder, takes him there, and repels sin to the cross along with himself. So that that debt that we owe to God, that is absolutely unpayable, I mean, you've got to know that. Because the problem, when people try and get right with God by their own method, oh, I've done that wrong, if I do that, that'll make it better. You're making it worse. Why? Because you're, you're trying to make yourself righteous. Self-righteousness is a sin. So you're sinning to try and deal with your sin. And the debt just piles up and piles up and piles up. There is no way out. There is no way through humanly. You are scuppered. Jesus says, I'll do it because I'm sinless. Because I've resisted every temptation and pressure to sin. Because I'm here for, for the world. I'm here because I love the world. I'm here to do the will of the Father, which is to reconcile the world to himself. So God, the Father, will not compromise his moral perfection and holiness. He won't just say, oh, it's fine. No, he's holy. So God finds a way of maintaining his perfection. And yet forgiving us from our sin and it's judging his son. So Jesus walks towards sin and death and Satan, utterly humiliated, exposed, vulnerable, and takes everything that comes his way, utterly deliberately, utterly, he's not intimidated by anyone or anything. His face is resolved simply to do the will of the Father. That's a saviour worth following. That's a saviour that can forgive you before God in heaven, that's a saviour who can cleanse your conscience. That's a saviour who can bring you new life. That's a saviour who can make all things brand new. This works. This is the Jesus that we worship. And this is one very big reason why we worship him. He rescued us. He's he's the ultimate hero. The ultimate hero. So we need to see that and understand that and grasp that in your heart today and if you come to Jesus you come to the cross in that sense and say I can do nothing you know I've just got nothing to bring except sin well you're in a good place actually you're in a good place if you come to that place the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart he's been showing you that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness because people don't see it naturally People naturally defend themselves, naturally give every reason why they've done what they've done. Oh, it's their fault. Oh, they did that to me. Oh, they provoked me. Or it's not as bad as so-and-so. That's naturally what we are. So defensive, proud, egotistical, sinful. When you come to the point where you say, I just need forgiveness. I've got nothing to bring. God have mercy on me. You are very close to being saved. You're very close to knowing that mercy and that forgiveness. It hurts, but it's good. God is... God is dealing with you. God is, let him deal with you. Let him do that. Let him do that. Don't put up walls to stop that. That's the spirit of God bringing you through to salvation. That's why we take the bread and the wine every week. That's why we're going to take the bread and the wine over there. Because this whole thing is about Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross and his blood that was shed. That's, that's the deal. That's why we do it every time we gather. He told us to. It's, it's, it's good. We, when we take the bread and the wine later, come and confess your sins to him. 
ask for forgiveness freshly. Because the Bible says if we confess, if we come clean, if we keep that account with God, he will forgive us and he will cleanse us. So we see that. We see Jesus in what David is doing. But there's one other thing I want to bring through from this point, and it's about David using the sling when he should have been using a sword. And you think, what's going on there? See, he, he put the armour on, but something in him said, this doesn't fit. Doesn't, this doesn't fit. And I love David because he's honest, right? If that was me, do you know what I would have done? I'm in front of the king, right? I would have said, no, it's great. It's really good. No, brilliant. It's great. And they said, you can't even walk. No, no, it's fine. I'll, by the time I get down to that valley, I'll be running. I'll be laughing. I'll be sorted it out. You know, you know when you like, you, like, you like some shoes and they're the wrong size and you pretend they fit? That sort of thing, yeah? Because you really want them? Yeah, that's it. No, it's great. It's great, Saul. Yeah, that, David says, do you know what? He says, uh, it's just not happening. It's not me. No, it's, not, it's crazy. I'm, I'm doing it this way. I, I want to talk about that tonight because I think that is very, very vital that you understand how God has made you and equipped you so that you can express that properly. Because if you don't get that, you'll be spending your whole Christian life trying to be like someone else. And it's really unfruitful. <laughs> you end up just clunking about the whole time. Now here, I want to speak to you about a few things, right? About in light, just to help you with this. I think that's, for us, again, that's probably as far as we're going to get tonight, so that's fine. There are two main dangers um, in being a Christian, I think. And I think one of them is this, is that you miss something central. For some reason, there is something central to the faith that you just don't get. Maybe no one ever taught you, or you just, I don't know what happened. You, you know, I don't know. You missed that Sunday where they were preaching on that bit. <laughs> I don't know. But you just, you don't get it. And I'll give you some examples of things like, like, um, like the person of Jesus, like who Jesus is like. He is fully God, and he is fully man, and he is altogether lovely, and he's multifaceted in his glory, and he's my great high priest, and also my sacrifice. And, you know, just the wonder of who Jesus is. Some people seem quite unimpressed with him, or they say strange things. And it's, oh, he's, a, he's a good teacher. Well, yeah, we know that, but it's a whole lot more than that. I mean, you know, I'm sure Dave's going to be a good teacher when he qualifies. I mean, come on, we're talking about Jesus here. Do you see what I mean? It's like, you didn't get it. You, you've missed it somehow. And what happens is, when you miss central things, do you know what happens? You limp through the Christian life. And, and you're never quite sure why. Because obviously, there's no way of knowing what you've missed. Because you've missed it. You understand the logic, yeah? You just think, why are they so excited? Sometimes it's the person of Jesus. No one's ever really laid that. There's only one foundation you can lay, it's Jesus. No one's ever really laid that well. You've never really seen him in all his splendor. Or maybe it's grace. Grace. Grace means undeserved favour. God favours you for no good reason. His disposition towards you is one of Favour. Why? It just sort of is. <laughs> That's the point. That's the point of grace. See, it's not. It's not because we want to. We want. We want to be able to point to something, don't we? Yeah. That's our inclination. Well, it could be because of that. Because the other day I did that, and he might have seen that. Now hold on. Hold on. Is grace. So when you are dead in your sin, okay, and all that stuff we spoke about earlier, he looks and says. I'd like to have a relationship with you. I'd like to reconcile you to me and adopt you. 
and spend eternity with you. Why? Because it makes me really happy. That's what the Bible teaches. And yet so many believers, they, just, they, they, they don't get that. They feel it's dangerous. And I guess it could be. It's like danger. They don't like it's too dangerous, you know, because, you know, I don't know. I could just do anything. But when you experience grace, you know what? You don't just do anything. You end up just really loving that person. And when Davina fell for me, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of grace going on. You know what I'm saying? She said something. She said, like, she said, I really like his ears. No one had ever said that. That one comment undid 22 years of pain. <laughs> you see like, the angle of my ears? Well, they were this size when I was born. You can, I've got photos. Seriously, I've got photos. And my, my whole... My, honestly, I really got so much grief. I remember standing in Cinema 180 at Benbon Brothers in Margate. I know you know that. Watching a film... And I hated, always hated sitting or standing in front of people because it was all, I knew, I knew what they were thinking. That guy's got three heads. <laughs> so I stood there, watching the film, right, and, and the FA Cup comments start. So that was life. I went to my dad, I said, Dad, I was about 15, and I said, Dad, I said, I, I, need an ear, I need an ear job. My own dad, do you know what he said? He said, no problem, son. He said, I think I can get you onto the private so you can jump the NHS queue. <laughs> My dad, you're supposed to say they're normal. My mum says they're normal. No, no, they're not. But my mum says that. He's just like, he seriously said it. He said, yeah, he said, we can sort something out. <laughs> you sound more desperate than me. She's, but Serena said, I like your ears. Now, what happened there was suddenly I became confident and uh, wanted to be around her more and more. Not just because of the ears thing, but there was just a lot of grace coming. <laughs> It was a lot of grace. I thought she likes me. Now, you see, when you, when you get the heart of God for you, that given, given our corruption, rebellion, and all of that, that in his incredible mercy and affections, he actually likes you and wants to be with you, something happens when you get it. You want to be with him. But some of you, you may never have actually even heard that or got that, and you think it's about what you do. God help us if that is about what we do. If it's about what we do, then we are exactly the same as every other religion on the earth, but we just use different phrases and terms. Every other religion on earth has that as its rhythm. Do that and you may be okay. Try a bit harder and things may work out. Christianity is absolutely opposed to that. and says whatever you do, you're only going to make things worse. God has done it. God has accomplished it. He's covered every base that needs covering and then invites you in to enjoy salvation. Grace. Maybe you've never seen that. and you oh. Or you can miss the new birth. You can miss the fact that if you're born again, you are a brand new creation. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Did you know that? You are no longer a sinner if you're a Christian. You're a saint. And let's just unpack this. Yes, you still have indwelling sin. You will struggle with sin for the rest of your life. But you're no longer a sinner because that's what you were by nature. When God took out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and caused his spirit to indwell you, he gave you a new nature, one whose most fundamental desire is to please and honor him. That makes you a saint. You're a saint. It's not just special Christians who become canonized. That is, a, I mean, that is what happens in the Catholic scene. It's utterly unhelpful. 
you read the Bible, the letters that are written to normal churches, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Thessalonica, it means holy ones. That is who you are. That is what God has made you. Why? Because you've been born again. God has worked on you and made you brand new. You didn't know him, now you do. Wow, from darkness to light, you're not what you were. You ever got to wake up in the morning and kind of crank the Christian thing up, you know? I said, oh, I'm half an hour early because I've got to get that Christian thing going, man. That takes ages. Okay, it's not how it works. You've been made brand new. So you wake up and you're a new... Now, I know you don't always feel like a new creation when you wake up. I know that, all right? It doesn't always feel too great. But you, you are who God has made you. You've been operated upon. Oh, hallelujah. If you've never seen that, you're going to limp your way through. The Bible, maybe. You've never understood that, you know what, uh, kind of what it says goes. And as a result, you know, you don't take it that seriously, don't study it, don't spend time in the Word, don't really honour the Word. Your, your approach is kind of, rather than being under the Word, you kind of put the Word under your own little interpretations that makes things convenient and easy for you, and you kind of twist the things you don't like, or just kind of overlook the things you don't like, and all of that. Now, we have to interpret the Bible very skillfully and carefully, for all kinds of reasons. But fundamentally, in our heart, we are saying, this is God's Word that transcends culture, transcends different generations and ages. God didn't sort of, you know, inspire this to be written a couple of thousand years ago, kind of, and then got caught out, you know, when iPhones came out, you know, because it's kind of really like behind the times. Like, oh man, if I'd known it about this, I would have put all kinds of different stuff in there. Come on, have a bit of honour for God, please. He, he knows the end from the beginning. He is the beginning and the end, okay? Everything in there to make us sufficient to follow him effectively, Okay? We honour scripture. If you don't get that, you're going, to be, you're going to be making all kinds of crazy decisions and choices in life. And wondering, why, why am I just kind of feeling this kind of vague kind of thing, this Christian thing? It's just, it just feels really kind of like marginal for me or really just sort of like dissatisfying. It's because you're just not drinking deep. God, these essential things. Church. So many believers, you know, like, well, it's me and Jesus having a great time. Church, have you seen those Christians? You're one of them. Oh yeah, but I mean, how arrogant is that? You think if Jesus, perfect, is humble enough to give Himself for His church, if Jesus is humble enough to bear with us, and yet we are not humble enough to bear with one another. We're not humble enough to really just engage and get into community but remain isolated because this, that or the other reason, something in our heart. Something's really wrong. Something's you've misunderstood what God is doing. God is calling individuals by name but he's calling out a people. The father's preparing a bride for his son, the church, with a body of Christ, many members working together, interdependent. This is, this is Christianity. You've got to get this. Sacrifice. The Christian life is a sacrificial life. Did you know that? It involves dying to yourself daily. Think, well, doesn't, how does that work with the grace thing? Here's how it works. Grace makes you big enough to do that. <laughs> grace makes you big enough to understand there's something much bigger going on than little old my life. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to be delivered from that idolatry of self-serving slavery. Whoa. And you get to walk free from just doing those things that are just utterly futile. But when I felt like it at the time, you think, oh, hallelujah, I've been delivered from that. (laughs) 
Hallelujah, I've been delivered to the, by God. I can say no to sin. Even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. Say, no, I'm not doing it. But it hurts, okay. Well, that's sacrifice. Suffering. Christian life is a life of suffering. Did you know that? That's a pillar. When the Bible talks about suffering, it's talking about being opposed, insulted, ridiculed or rejected because you name Jesus as your Lord. That's part of the deal. Pillar. Get it in. Get it in. Settle it in your heart and your mind. Makes Christianity a lot easier. Otherwise you freak out when it happens. Ah! Done something wrong. Not necessarily. Some people don't like Jesus. And you're one of his. And what did he say? If they hated the student? If they hated the... Sorry, if they hated, if they hated, the, if they hated me, they hated you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Forgiving others. Forgiving others. Last one. Forgiving others. That is a pillar in the Christian life. Right? And people hold on to resentment and bitterness and store things up for years and wonder why they walk around like a kind of screwed up thing. Well, you, you've got to forgive. You've got to release that person. You, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Leave room for the vengeance of God. These are pillars. That's the first mistake Christians make, okay? I want to say to you, if you want to be part of this church, it is my hope and prayer and dream that over the weeks, months and years, we constantly put those pillars in, pillars in, pillars in, so you understand what this thing is about and people are being honest with you and upfront from the start, okay? But here's the other mistake people make. This is much more subtle. It's the flip side. They take something marginal or something stylistic and they deify it as God's way. And Christian leaders are particularly bad at this. For example, I pray for 30 minutes every morning. And if you don't, you know what I'm saying. Now, let's just look at that. Let's just look at that. Because what happens there is that someone's put a yoke on you, right? Donk. A yoke of legalism. What does the Bible say? Be devoted to prayer. Figure it out. Okay? Figure it out. Be devoted to prayer. But you see, someone's method, someone's particular way, that's how we do it. No. Be devoted to prayer. You figure it out. Or, worship style. We are loud here. Um, Is it God's way? I think God, God likes loud, God likes quiet. It's just the way we do it. So whatever you do, don't think to yourself, oh no, I've come here and I really hate the loud music, I can't be a believer. Yeah, you can. There's some really cool, quiet churches around. Or come here and wear earplugs. <laughs> yeah, it's a style thing. It's a style thing, okay? It's not, it's not, it's not a God thing. It's a style thing. So the, the truth, that's a God thing, okay? The gospel truth, that's a big deal. But the, the style is a style thing. So it's important that you under... It's really important because people get really locked up in this stuff. And what happens is, is that the, the colour, um, the variety, uh, and uh, um, the, the beautiful kind of rainbow of the way God works is, is, is shrunken into something kind of black and white and, and, and utter, very predictable and dull. And what happens is, is that, is that a church ends up just producing clones. And everyone looks the same and talks the same and prays the same and expresses their love for the Lord in the same way. And it's a tragedy. It's an utter tragedy. And I'd say, you know, look, 
don't fall into that mistake. How does this bear with the story here's how it bears? David had the guts to say, do you know what, Saul? I'm sure if you were going to kill a giant, this is how you would do it. I can't do it that way. We both want to kill the giant, but I want to do it differently. And you need to be released today to know that if you want to flourish in faith, you need to discover how God has gifted you. Not only that, how he wants to express that to your personality and run with it. Okay? Ever so, ever so important. And God help us if as a church we get to the point where that stuff is closed down and it just becomes rigid, predictable, black and white. It's just a horrible thought. Let the creativity of God flourish in his church. Amen? Amen. Let the gifts that God has put in people have room to be expressed. Yeah, that's what, we, that's what God wants. Who are we to get in the way of that? We want that to flourish. We want it to flourish. And I'm going to end it there. I've got two other points. We'll, 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 look, at those. we'll look at those next week. But I want to finish by saying this. Know that God's called you by name. Press him for the inrushing power of the Spirit more and more every day. And then find your way in God and use it for the good of the church. Okay? That is a good life of faith. What we're going to do is just respond to the message, the proclamation of the gospel.